Welcome to the online teaching ministry of Dry Run Baptist Church. For more content, visit us online at dryrunbaptist.org. Good morning. If you have your Bibles with you, turn to 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 16 is where we'll be. If you're able, I ask that you stand in the honor of the reading of the word of the Lord. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 16. It says, for we do not follow clearly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when we received honor and glory from God the Father and the voice was borne to him by the, by the majestic glory, this is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven. For we were with him on the holy mountain and we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed to which you will do well to pay attention as a lamp, as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation, for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Father, we ask that your word would be platformed today in such a way that your people would be transformed because of it. We pray on the inside that the morning star would rise in our hearts because we have clung to this lamp shining in the dark place that is our world. So please do this among us and a million other things we are not wise enough, smart enough to ask for because you are so wise and you are so much smarter than we are. So teach your people today. In Jesus' name, amen. You all can be seated. The courage that we're talking about here in 2 Peter chapter 1, if you don't have this courage, you need this courage. In the midst of a world in which that Russia is now uh, and has since invaded Ukraine, the story came out regarding the president of Ukraine, Vladimir Zelensky, in which that Russia was surrounding him and the United States reached out to him and said, do you want us to evacuate you from the country? We will come get you if you're okay with that, basically. To which he responded, I don't need a ride, I need ammunition. I don't need a ride, I need ammunition. And why might he say that? Because there are some things worth fighting for. Some things worth buckling down for. There are hills that you need to prepare to give everything on. There are those things. And how you decide what those things are in your life determines whether or not you're a a wise person or a fool. What we look at here in 2 Peter chapter 1 is a place that the church cannot retreat from. It is where we must have this courage that I showed you this picture of. In the context of 2 Peter chapter 1, uh, we Peter has been personally told by the Lord Jesus that he is dying soon. 
History told us, tells us that he would be put to death in Rome shortly after this. And he's writing a letter, second letter, to the churches that he wrote First Peter to. Because there's these people who are trying to destroy Christianity. And how might they destroy Christianity in the early church? They go at the foundation of it being the scriptures. So what they're trying to do is to destroy Christianity by discrediting the scriptures. I say that because here in this passage, Peter writes to them, but it is to us as well, because the same very thing is happening in our culture in which that if they discredit the scriptures or distance us from the scriptures why they they've taken it all down we have nothing left if this goes down there's nothing of the church there's nothing of christianity if the scriptures are discredited or attacked and not brought forward so what's happening here in 2 Peter, we see that this is his last well, will and testament. He, he has a very few things left to do, um, but what he does is he encourages the church to stand on the scriptures. Now you go, why are we talking about this? We go verse by verse through books of the Bible. Why are we in 2 Peter today? I thought I showed up for Ecclesiastes. Sorry about that. Come back next week. But as we start our distinctive systematic theology class on Wednesday nights, we start with the scriptures. And today, this is a reminder of why we do what we do. This is why, this is why we do it. This is why we go through books of the entire Bible. This is why I'm not making a salad up here of opinions taking a stake of scripture and cutting off a slab and we're all feasting on the scriptures. So if I did that, like we normally do in 2 Peter, I, you would know that Peter wrote 2 Peter to a group of people who, have, who he says in chapter 1, who have ta- uh, attained a faith of an equal standing with ours. So he writes this letter to a group of people that has the very same thing that he has. And then he goes forward in chapter, in chapter 1, verse 3, to tell him that in him, that being Jesus our Lord, we have everything that pertains to life and godliness. We have everything we need in him. So then he endeavors to tell the church, to remind the church, Chapter 1, verse 12, Therefore I intend always to remind you of these qualities, though you know them and are established in the truth that you have. I think it right, as long as I'm in this body, to stir you up by the way of reminder. So on his deathbed, look at this as a last will and testament. Church, stand on the scriptures. Do not neglect your Bibles. Do not do that. That's what he's doing. With the few breaths he has. And we see these two big reasons here in the passage for us to trust the scriptures. We should trust these scriptures. 
First, we should trust these scriptures because they are the accounts of eyewitnesses. They are the accounts of eyewitnesses. Look at verse 16. For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were I, we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. So they're attacking Christianity, trying to pick apart the teaching of the apostles. And what does Peter do? He says, when we gave you these scriptures, we weren't making them up. These were not, this was not a myth. Like we're, we're doing this stuff with our kids right now. We're separating them. And we go, hey, do you, you think Spider-Man's real? No, he's pretend. Spider-Man's pretend. Jesus, is he pretend or is he real? He's real. Thank you all. Good job. Good job. And how do we know that Jesus is real? Peter, verse 16, 2 Peter says, we didn't make this up. We made known that Jesus is coming because we saw him, right? So at, at the level of the kids in the room, right? How do we know that Jesus is real? Because people that saw him wrote it down for us to tell us that he's real, not only that he's real, but one day he's returning to earth. How do we know that? Because they saw him personally, like you see your mommy and your daddy, and they wrote it down for us. That is what the, this Bible is. It is a record of people that saw things and wrote them down. That's what this is. So that's what Peter says in verse 16. Yet they weren't being clever, that they were making known the power and coming of a person. So see how he begins telling us these scriptures? That we should trust them because they're not speculation. They are revelation. So this is not something that they crafted. Instead, they made known the power and coming of a real person, the Lord Jesus Christ. He says they made known to it because they were an eyewitness of his majesty. So the Bible we hold, particularly looking at the New Testament, is reliable. And how is it that we are proving the trustworthiness of the scriptures by the scriptures? Isn't that like saying, hey, I'm a nice guy. Just ask me, I'll tell you how I'm a nice guy. Isn't that, that kind of what I'm doing here? saying you should believe the scriptures because the scripture says you should believe the scriptures. Isn't that like a uh, what uh, people in philosophy and rhetoric, isn't that what they call like a circular argument? Isn't it starting somewhere and proving it by going right back to where you are? Like I, I, you gave the example uh, the, other, the other night. Um, it's like saying you should be able to have an abortion because abortions are legal. Well, you actually haven't made anything or proved any point. All you've done is state something and provided no proof behind what you just stated. So that doesn't necessarily work in an argument like that, right? I'm a good guy. Ask me and I'll tell you I'm a good guy. You should believe the scriptures because the scriptures say you should believe the scriptures. What's the difference in those two arguments? Well, let me tell you what the difference is in those two arguments. 
we are saying that the Bible is the highest authority on earth. If I say I'm a nice guy, I, I could be lying. I could be lying. Now, so when you make a claim that the Bible is the highest authority, you cannot appeal to another authority to prove the Bible's supremacy. See, look at all these archaeological digs. It says the Bible's true. Well, then archaeology is, is our supreme authority. Look, look at science. It says that the Bible's true. Well, then science is, is what you go to. No, no, no. The scriptures are the highest authority. And to say anything else diminishes that argument. It destroys it. That's what it is. It'd be like telling your wife, you're the most beautiful woman I've ever seen in my entire life. Except for that girl at the post office. And the one that, that delivers the mail. And that, that one that waited on me at Save-A-Lot. And the one that I saw walking on the, the side of the road. And the one that... You get it? Like, anything you say after that, you lose. You lose. Anything you add to that destroys your argument. See, the Bible is trustworthy. Trust the Bible because... And if you quote anything other than the Scriptures, you've just gave away the authority of the Scriptures. Now, we know <coughs> that the Bible is true because of verse 16 in which... Peter is saying, I made known to you something that I saw. I saw something and I made it known to you. To be more specific, I saw someone. I saw someone. The power and coming of our Lord Jesus. We, speaking of the apostles, were eyewitnesses of his majesty. That means Peter is not talking by himself. He is talking with a group of people. And I've said this here before, but the scriptures were preserved in an oral tradition, which means that all kinds of people couldn't read. But they were preserved in an oral culture in which that it was normal for people to memorize large things and to recite them to one another. So it's kind of like you're at a family reunion and you're telling a story and then four people are around you going, he lies about this every year, right? He lies about this thing every year and we're all going to set him straight every time. This was a collective group of people that were eyewitnesses. Jesus appeared to over 500 resurrected after his death. And if one of the 500 tried to deny it, lie it, or whatever, you had those 499, you would say, no, I was there. This is what I saw. So the Bible is an eyewitness testimony. And you say, well, all right, you got an eyewitness testimony story. Uh, Peter, tell us a story. So Peter says, okay, you want a story? I got a story. So beginning in verse 17, he tells the story of 
what we call the Mount of Transfiguration, meaning Jesus was transfigured or completely changed before the people. So what happens was Jesus goes up on this mountain, and we preached through it in the book of Mark here, and he met with Moses and Elijah, and he, his, his clothes were shining brighter than anyone on earth could bleach them. And then there was a voice that came from heaven, and he says, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. This is the kind of stuff that is in the Bible, that this is not a, this is a supernatural book. So human eyewitnesses of supernatural events are in these scriptures. Now this isn't superhuman meaning, right? Like, so like Michael Phelps is in the pool and he's swimming and he's leaving everyone in his wake and he goes, wow, he's a way better swimmer than everybody else. I mean, he's like a walking human fish. No, that's, that's not it, right? Like Michael Jordan playing basketball and he dunks from the free throw line. And you're like, wow, he's the greatest of all time. Not LeBron, but Michael. That's not what this is. It is Michael Phelps in the water beating everybody in the race and Jesus walking on top of it because he can defy gravity anytime he wants to because he is not a man like you and me. But this is a supernatural event, supernatural book. So that's why when we read the Bible, we don't read it like the news. You read the news, you're kind of depressed, and you're like, this is the same old stink, different dumpster, different day. But you, you read the scriptures and you find that, that all of a sudden these scriptures are reading you and your motivations are called to an account. And the, attitude, the bad attitudes you have are all of a sudden called to check. And maybe I was wrong in that last conversation I had that got heated. Maybe it was my fault. Why am I bringing that up? I opened the scriptures. That's what I did. You read them. They read you. That's what they do. Because it's a supernatural book. And all of a sudden, you're hearing this and you say, you know, I'm, I'm following you. Like Peter is saying, hey, trust these scriptures because there, we saw what was going on. I even went up on the mountain and Jesus appeared in some kind of Tide commercial and God put his phone on speakerphone and... I, I get it, right? Why Peter would want you to trust the scriptures because what he saw, right? He's, he, he got up on the mountain, saw the Tide, tide commercial. He was like, I see dead people that shouldn't be alive right now, but they're talking to Jesus in shining clothes and God puts his phone on speakerphone. I get it. Good for him. But I've never been to that mountain and I don't see dead people. I haven't seen the Tide commercial. I haven't seen that. So maybe maybe we're tempted to, to struggle because you know what happens when we didn't get to see what Peter gets to see in verse 17? We try to fill in the gaps. We try to, we're, we're obsessed with the supernatural that we ourselves didn't get to see. 
So much so that when you, you go to uh, Christian bookstores, you, you've seen this, you've heard this, etc. right? There is something that, that some, some has called um, heavenly tourism, meaning my kid died, went to heaven, and all I got was this lousy t-shirt, so I wrote this book about it. Or I spent 23 minutes in heaven or hell or what, whatever that one is, right? And then the guy that's kid who died and went to heaven and, and came back and he, he says he saw Jesus and Jesus kind of looks like the white guy with green eyes and shaggy hair that works at the speedway down the corner. And then everybody hear, is hearing that and going, that's a little disappointing. He was mid, Middle Eastern and he stuck in like he wouldn't have stuck out in their culture. He was just like everyone else, right? He had no, as the King James says, he had no comeliness that we ought to, to, to desire him. Like he, he had nothing that would have made him stand out and be like, wow, there's a Caucasian guy with a British accent here in the Middle East. Well, he, he's clearly, thou art the Christ. You know, like, no, that's, that's not what happened. But we, we have this hunger for the sensationalized things. We're all, we're all disappointed when that kid starts talking about Jesus and they even painted a picture of him. And you're like, that's a, that's a, no, that ain't him. Clearly not him. He's a white guy with green eyes. And he has a strip beard. So, I mean, come on. But we were all disappointed. And then, and then the dad goes, you know, I'm really sorry about that, guys, but I made all of this up. But no, Peter says, I was on the mountain, and I saw it. It was real. What he says here in verse 19 is you don't have to go to the mountain. Because Peter's telling us that what we have in our scriptures is far better than what he saw on the mountain. So you don't have to see the Tide commercial with the dead people and hear speakerphone. No, 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 no. You have these scriptures verse 19 and we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed to which you will do well to pay attention okay so is he's saying i went up on the mountain you have these scriptures it's far better because here's the thing we we didn't get the personal experience that peter got we didn't so what is he telling us there in verse 19? He's telling us, you need to pay attention to the scriptures which trumps your personal experience. That's what he's saying. You weren't on the mountain. You have something better. You have these scriptures. I don't know how many times in my entire life that I've heard someone tell me that God told them to step out on their bride or step out on Jesus' bride. That God told him to do that. And let me tell you, he did not. He did not tell you to do that. Your bride or his bride, they're not to be played with. They're to be committed to. Now, you got a vision. You had an intuition. You got a text message. I don't know what you got. But you cannot trust it because your heart, in your heart, is deceitful. I don't know about you, but my own feelings have eaten me for lunch before, right? 
That's where your anxiety comes in or your anger or something, right? And it leads you to act certain ways. This, my friends, is all we can count on. So that means my anxiety or my anger has to be filtered in to the scriptures. The things that I think God told me, I, I have a word from the Lord for you today. And if you can't see it in black and white in your lap, it's not a word from the Lord. It's not. You feel led or directed or guided in a, in a certain direction? You might. You might. What are those verses that you have for it, though? Let's talk about that. What do you have from the scriptures that say that you're doing the right thing? That you're doing the right thing? Because your feelings, yourself, don't trust, don't trust it. Don't trust it. Let me tell you who is the best salesman to you who can sell you anything. He or she can make you go in any direction that they want to. They can make you buy anything that they want you to buy. And you, they, they feed you things and you swallow them. Your own heart. Your own heart. And the thing is, it's not to be trusted. It is not to be trusted. That's what he says right there in verse 19. We have this prophetic word more fully confirmed, which you will do well to pay attention to. This is what you pay attention to. The scriptures. So you can't just get lost in your own head like I've done before, right? Like I've done this. I'm not talking to you about things I haven't done. I haven't been led astray by my own feelings. I haven't, I've, I've done that in the last week, right? In the last two weeks. I'm saying it all has to be brought, checked in place by these scriptures. So he didn't tell you to neglect your bride or his bride. No. He didn't tell you to do any of those things. It all has to be confirmed <laughs> by this prophetic word that we have more fully confirmed. It does. And, and we should pay attention to it. What is this thing that we ought to pay attention to? What's it like for us? Well, that's what he says there in verse 19. It's like a lamp shining in a really dark place. It's not a spotlight to where you see, like, I, wouldn't you want it to be that though, right? Like, I want to know the future. I, I, want, I want to know, I, I want it to be like the beams on my minivan that I turn them on, and if there's a dead possum 50 yards in front of me, I see the dead possum. I don't hit the dead possum. That's not what it's like. It's not like the beams on your minivan. It's like a lamp that you carry with you that gives you just enough light for the next step. That's what it is. And you know what, my friends? You are in a very dark place. This world is, does not give you its own light. That's what he says. Well, what, what's the scriptures like? Well, it's kind of like a lamp in a dark place. Scripture isn't the darkness. The scripture is the lamp. The dark place is the place that you are in. 
you find yourself in. You don't know the future. You're blind to it. So you might struggle. You might have anxiety. You need a lamp. Some said this is the trustworthy lamp that we look at today. So what's the scriptures like? Well, it's kind of like a lamp in a dark place until there is coming a day, right, when our faith will then be sight. And the day is going to dawn, and one day you won't need your Bibles because you will be with God. One day you will, you will see physically the God of the Bible and be with him and him with you forever. Until that day, pay attention to the lamp in the dark place that you're in and until the morning star rises in your hearts. Until the light, you, you see what, what's happening there in verse 19? You're holding the lamp with you until that lamp begins to shine on the inside of you. Stars rising inside of you. So if we have feelings, we take them to Scripture to something's more confirmed. Any fire that we could see on the mountain, any angel that would meet with us in a cave, any God told me this or God told me that. is filtered by what we actually know for sure. Because we can't trust any of those other things. We can only trust this. And why should we do that? We should trust the scriptures because they are the accounts of eyewitnesses. Peter said, I saw this, and what you have is better than what I saw. The world's dark. Hold on to the lamp until something starts shining on the inside of you, until the day dawns. That's what you ought to do because it's the account of eyewitnesses. And you know what? Also, because it is the authority of God. Verse 20, verse 20. Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man. But men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So here's what's happening. Why, why should we filter everything through these Scriptures, not trust your feelings, not trust your, your, the things you think that God is speaking to you or told you, like filter them through this because he got up on the mountain, he heard God, he saw the Son of God. And what we have in our scriptures is better than that. And it's better than that. And you should know this first. Know this first. It's not from us. It's not from us. No prophecy speaking of this word that we have more fully confirmed from the Lord is not from humans. That's why you can't get lost in your own head. You need someone, God, speaking from outside of you because it gets noisy in here and you don't know how to filter this. And I, Is that God or is that me? Or should I not eat pizza so late at night? I don't know which one of those three things it is. why you need these scriptures because these these scriptures are not from man they are alien to us so though they are they are the eyewitness accounts of man they are not from man's interpretation that's why we filter everything to, through it tom schreiner says we should use these scriptures as a criterion for our thinking philippians as some of you all went through it, says, think on these things. 
The Bible tells you what to think about. It tells you what to think about what you think about. You see? So he points to these scriptures that they don't come from men. Just like a prophet doesn't make up his own sermon, the scriptures don't find their root with us. Instead, they are foreign to us. So how did we get these scriptures that are foreign to us? Second half of verse 21 says, the Holy Spirit of God carried men along as they did it. So the word that we see there in the second half of verse 21 is the same, is the word that we get our English word fairy from because that's what it's conveying, meaning like Peter, Paul, Luke, Moses, Solomon, there in Ecclesiastes, they all got in the boat and the Spirit of God carried them along and made sure they got to the destination of the truth intended from the scriptures. They crossed the river to the destination and they got there to where God intended and God saw fit that it happened by his Holy Spirit. So here's a statement. Article 7 of the Chicago Statement of Inerrancy in 1978 answers this question, does the Bible contain error? Here's what it said. It says, we affirm that scripture in its entirety is inerrant, being free from all falsehood, fraud, or deceit. We deny that scripture, that biblical infallibility and inerrancy are limited to spiritual, religious, or redemptive themes exclusive of assertions in the field of history and science. Here's, here's what that means. The Bible is true in its entirety and does not have falsehood. It's not tricking you. And it's not just a spiritual thing. It doesn't just contain spiritual truth. You realize that, ev- that this world that we live in is passing away and we're not going to be spirits floating on clouds next to babies in diapers playing harps. That's not what it is. We're not all ghosts after this. But there will be a literal new heavens and a new earth that we will be on. We will receive new physical bodies. That there is a physical reality that we will be a part of. And he will wipe every tear from your physical eyes. That's where it all comes from. So, we affirm that the Bible is infallible, meaning it cannot err, and it's inerrant, meaning it does not err. And it doesn't just speak about spiritual things, and it's not exclusive to history and the sciences, meaning that like you can't go to history to try to affirm the scriptures and that that's what it is. It doesn't speak truly about history. It doesn't say anything about real events or real people. No. Does it say anything that's scientifically true? No. It says things that are scientifically true and historically proven. So yeah, archaeology is great. They keep digging and they find all of these things that prove the scriptures. And there's like a sentence about it. Nobody ever hears about it. Why? Because that's not what they're trying to do. 
right? They're trying to disprove the scriptures by archaeology. And it just so happens that everything they always find always prove the scriptures to be true. And nobody ever hears about it because that's not really the, the agenda. That's not exciting, right? That, ooh, look, they, they, they were struggling with this in Capernaum and there they were, right in the middle of Capernaum and they dug it up. And nobody ever talks about it. Then they study science and they say, well, this scientifically proves this and nobody ever hears about it. Why? Because that's not what, that's not what it's about. It's not going to make the news. But we're saying that the Bible does speak on things of his, historical significance and science. So that would all make sense because here in 2 Peter, uh, the truthfulness of Scripture is directly connected to the faithfulness and veracity of the divine author. Meaning, why is the Bible true? Because the divine authorship of the Bible, because God is true. Romans 3, 4, Paul said, let God be true, though everyone were a liar. So if we all got public opinion together, we all got lost in our own heads, we all got angry, disgruntled against God, and we, we said he's not true, everyone on earth, if we all did those things, then we would have an earth full of liars. soon to be judged by a God who is forever true. That's what we would have. 2 Timothy 3.16 that they read, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, reproof, and correction. It all is for training in righteousness. Old Testament, Proverbs 35, every word of God proves true. Psalm 12 the word of the Lord are pure words. Psalm 119, 160, the sum of your word is truth. Psalm 119, 89, forever, O Lord, your word is finally fixed, firmly fixed in the heavens. So what's the Bible say about itself? It's very important. But what does Jesus say about the Bible? As it's been said, you can't have the Jesus of the Bible and reject the Bible of Jesus. You can't do that, right? You can't have one without the other because it seems like that Jesus believed the words of God. John 10, 35, he says, Scripture cannot be broken. He prayed to the God, God, of the, God the Father in John 17, sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. Interestingly enough, in Matthew 22, in his argument with the religious leaders, Jesus held the religious leaders accountable as if God wrote these Scriptures. That's my aim as well, right? I'm holding you accountable to these scriptures as if they are the very words of God that they are. And we ought to hold one another accountable to these scriptures. You ought to do it to me too, as if God wrote these scriptures because he did. Because God is true and cannot lie. His words are true and they do not lie. That's what inerrancy is. It means the scriptures do not have error in them. Infallibility of the scriptures means that they cannot. That's what we confirm here in Second Peter. He says, do you want to know why what we're teaching is not a myth, but it's true? Because it's from God and His Holy Spirit saw to it that these things were 
as men wrote them, as God held them, directed them. So if we were to preach, as we normally do, through verse by verse, through first and second Peter, we would understand that what's going on, why is he defending these scriptures? Why is the church being attacked? Well, chapter 2, verse 3, they want to deny that the Lord Jesus is physically returning so that they could live however way they wanted. You know why you won't dig into the scriptures and filter all of those things through the scriptures? Because they, they contradict you. So we might not be like these people that we don't believe the scriptures are true and like that that's that might not be what we're doing but we could be just like these false teachers because in second peter chapter 2 he begins but false prophets also arose among the people just as there will be false, false preachers among you the reason that you, the scripture is not your filter and it's your it's your feelings is because your, your feelings confirm you and the scriptures contradict so I don't think any of us would argue the same thing that these false teachers are arguing about the, the truthfulness and veracity of the scriptures. I don't think we'll deny it like that. But we might neglect it. We might neglect it so that we can pout longer or we can be angry with our spouse longer. Right? Right? Or we can feel affirmed, I think, right? As long as we stay away from the scriptures, we can continue to do those things. See, that's what they were doing. They were distancing from the scriptures in order to affirm themselves in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 3. And their sensuality and their greed. So that's what they struggled with, right? Things of the flesh and greediness and, and scoffing for their own sinful desires. That's what they did. So let's get real practical here. What is our motivation for neglecting or criticizing or picking apart the scriptures? Or the people that speak these scriptures into our lives? Why might we disconnect from that? So that we can live whatever way that we want to live. That's what it is. So how often do we disguise our rebellion like it's an intellectual pursuit? That's what they were doing. So what do we do with this neglect of the scriptures or our distance between us and our Bible sleeping through our Bible reading time in the mornings? Why? What do we do with it? Well, Second Peter chapter 3, verse 8. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved. With the Lord, one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bottles will be burned up and dissolved in the earth, and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness? Second Peter chapter 3 says, 
if all of this is going to happen and the Lord, you will stand before the Lord Jesus and be exposed, all your attitudes and affections of your heart, the things you think, the things that you love, if all of those things are going to be exposed and everything is going to be dissolved and burn up, what sort of people ought we to be right now because of the very patience of God? that our neglect of the scriptures hasn't destroyed our lives yet. We shouldn't count it as a license to keep running. Because what's happened, don't you see what it is? It's there in 2 Peter chapter 3, God is being patient with you. If I look back on my life, one thing I can say for sure is that God has been so patient with someone like me. He has been so patient with me. And I didn't really deserve it to be so. But he was just so very patient with me, more patient than anybody else would have been. And if you want to look at your life, you know that same thing, don't you? That God is patient with you, and he's more patient with you than other people are. He... He hasn't written you off like other people have. No. You see, if you're not a Christian today, that patience is coming to an end. One day, a day that you know not of. You don't know when it's going to be. You struggle with the scriptures and giving your lives to these things because you're not a Christian. Maybe that's it. Well, this Bible tells us that God is holy and righteous and just and that you are not holy and like him. So God became a man in the person of the Lord Jesus and he lived the perfect life that God required of you. He died on the cross for your sins and he rose victorious on the third day. We have an eyewitness of this burial, death, and resurrection that writes to us today from 2 Peter The message of these scriptures is that he has returned to God the Father and one day you will stand before him and that may be on your death, that may be on his return. Either way, he will judge you. He will. So what do you do in the meantime? You turn from your sin and trust in the Lord Jesus to save you from your sin. That's what you do. And as we, if you are a Christian, maybe we have been neglecting these scriptures or not standing on them, right? If God wrote a book, wouldn't you want to read it? So maybe tomorrow you're not opening your, today you didn't open your Bible like God wrote it. Maybe you trusted in you. That's a cause for patience to to take advantage, right, of the patience of God to repent of these things. That's an opportunity, right? We have the opportunity to repent because of the breath in our lungs. That's what it is. You see, it's been attributed also as we think upon the courage that we need to have in the church. What people have done 
what you might have done instead of trusting in these scriptures, you might have retreated into the culture where it's safe. It, it is safer there and quieter there, right? This discussion comes up about something clear. Scripture speaks clearly on there in the break room and you don't have a dog in that fight. You just let that garbage go on while you stay silent. Why? Because it's safer. It's safer there. But you know what? It's not there. It's not faithful there. It may be safer there, but it's not faithful there. You see, use your lamp because you're in a dark place. Repent of not trusting in this lamp because this is what we stand on today. To go back to Ukraine, the president was also quoted as, when they, uh, as saying, when they attack us, they will not see our backs, they will see our faces. That is the profile of courage that we need to have as Christians. They need to see our faces as we stand for the truth of the scriptures. Now, this, like, am I giving you a license to be mean? No. No, I am not. Am I giving you a license to beat people over the head with your Bible? If you do that, they won't believe that you believe what's in the midst of the Bible you're beating them with. I'm just saying that because God, the authority of God comes with this book, that you have a unique opportunity to speak into people's lives and into situations because God has spoken on those things. So you have the opportunity to speak on them as well. You don't have to be an expert. You just need to read your Bible. Let's pray together today. Father, thank you for your scriptures. They are true and good and wonderful. Help us not to neglect them, but to stand on them with courage. Forgive us for, uh, for fleeing into the culture where it is safe. We know you have spoken. So let us speak from your scriptures into lives and situations. We pray for those opportunities right now that you will give them to us and the courage to do so so that the Lord Jesus in his name and his word and his causes in the world may be made famous and they may advance. Please help us in Jesus' name, amen.